All the equipment, look, I can see how it's appealing to people who like equipment. Who like pushing buttons. <laughs> yeah. What does that colour button yeah. do? Flying planes, and not really flying planes. Do those buttons do anything on the right? <laughs> they look like pads, like I could trigger samples from them. Are you going to do a little bit of music? Maybe, you know. For, for the, but are you going to, we're going to have, we need a song, we need a Oh, thing. we need a jingle, don't we? Totally. Well, I'm a, you know, So you could probably do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're what? Sorry? What? Hello? <laughs> is, this the, is this working? <laughs> you need to do that. I'll do it, yeah, I'll do the jingle. If the, you know, if there's budget, if there's... If there's <laughs> fucking hell. If there's the right budget. Honestly, who does he think he is? Welcome along to I'm Okay Though. <laughs> Does that work? <laughs> Basically, this podcast is called I'm Okay Though because that's such a common sentence, isn't it? Really. I'm okay though. Yeah, it's how we reassure ourselves that we're, we're doing all right. Yeah. Even when we're not. And what do we want people to think we're doing okay? Yeah. Is that like a massive thing? Well, I think that it swings on a pendulum between wanting to, needing the attention of not doing so well and also reassuring the world and ourselves that we are. So I think there's a kind of polar scale between I'm doing okay and I'm really not doing okay. And actually we don't exist in either one or the other, but on the whole spectrum. So it's it's for both. It's for yourself yeah. and for the person you're telling. I think so. And I think there's something that we we need to jump to that exit, which is where we disallow ourselves to feel that we're not doing okay. So right. by saying that we are, we sort of shut down any any anxieties or fears or vulnerabilities that we might be feeling. And is that, do you think that's because it's like, if you're not okay, you're failing? Maybe. Uh, listen, how many times in a day do you get asked or ask others, how are you doing? Yeah. And you just say, I'm okay, I'm good. or yeah, yeah. And, and really you haven't given it any thought yeah. as to what actually really, how are you? Yeah. My second good in that answer is always the telling one. Mm. I go, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's and then the what do you do? Then do you add a truth to that? Do you go, but that, no, I'm good, but. No, never. I, I never go, yeah, man, I'm good. Actually, do you know what? I'm shit. <laughs> or this is, or I'm really struggling. Yeah, do you know what, actually? I'm glad you asked because yeah. I'm really struggling here. But in some environments, I think we are invited to answer properly. What environment? Well, I think that we, somehow we know when we're safe enough to do it. And it's quite rare. We, you know, I do this thing where I'll ask once, so I'll say, so how are you? And then I'll say, but how are you really? How are you really? Yeah, just taking a moment because I think it really drops down. And I think if we're yeah. not prepared to listen to the answer, yeah. we shouldn't ask. Um, just in case you think you're kind of listening to just like two people <laughs> just rambling on and chatting, I guess if you don't, if you weren't aware of who I am, my name's Owen Cutts and I'm a record producer, songwriter, and I've done some podcasts and I kind of feel really interested in sort of like therapy and mental health and stigmas and the whole kind of like thing around it. And especially men talking about how they feel, I think is really important and can bring around quite a lot of change in not just your life, but the lives around you. 
So that's kind of like my stance on it. And I'm talking to the lovely Jody. You're you are you're a therapist, but you didn't start as a therapist, did you? What's your No, I didn't start as a therapist. What's I, your story, man? What's my story? Um so yeah, I'm Jody Karras. I'm a therapist. I've been a therapist for seventeen years. And I'm also a coach and I am the founder of Self Space, which is a contemporary mental health service. But I started as a television presenter. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't start as that because I started as a small person who didn't know what they wanted to do. (laughs) And I spent a a big chunk of my career as a wildlife presenter, which (laughs) basically meant me going to really beautiful um, places in the world and being shit scared of what I was supposed to be doing. (laughs) And I was really, really unhappy in TV. Were you? Yes. Always? Or you became unhappy? No, always actually. I think I'd spent my entire kind of teenage years thinking that I just wanted to be on the telly, but not really knowing why and not really having any feeling connection to it. Yeah. But I wanted some sort of validation, I think. Right. And then when I arrived there in that place, like I, I think I got lucky quite quickly and um, I, I worked for Channel 5 and I did the Pepsi chart show and I did Milkshake, which was a kid's show in a television cup, kind of like... Still a clo- show. Yeah, is it? Is it yeah, still yeah. on? In a, in a cupboard and the commissioner there took a, a bit of a risk and he phoned me and he said, look, you're a bit of a liability for live TV, <laughs> but we want you to do some wildlife and your first job is a, a shark dive on, wow. um, in South Africa. And I was like... Um, so I said, amazing, I can't wait. I got off the phone and I haven't been in the sea. I was terrified of the sea, which makes sense later when I changed my career. But I hadn't been in the sea since I was three because of my phobia of sharks. Oh, and um, great, great first job <laughs> Thanks very much. Yeah. And um, anyway, I so wanted to be on the telly that I put all of my feelings and my inner world to the side and was like, right, I'm going to do this sort of yeah. really brutal, I think it felt actually, as a kind of, as an emotional experience. And then I was there... TV was like, there were only five channels, like I'm that old. And it was quite a big deal. But I, the whole period of that experience, I just felt like I was so disconnected from myself, from what I felt and what I wanted. And so I retrained. And start starting from basically being so desperate to be on TV that you do something that you were absolutely terrified from. Yeah. Is that like the start of your... I think so. Uncomfortability. Yeah, I think it was it was something about my confidence that I, mm. I thought that that was something I could put on rather yeah. than live through. Yeah. And so I don't think actually you can get further extremes in terms of career choices. No. One is how you present yourself and how you're seen. Yeah. And the other is really in the feeling zone. Yeah. So ultimately they're But do you think one polarity. contributed to the other? Do you think yeah. like your unhappiness in television... Yes. Pursued to retrain as a therapist. I think it was a combination of really feeling as if what the outside world thought of me meant so little in terms of how I felt about myself and how I felt I could connect to the world. And I think the experience of feeling so alone, so unhappy, so sort of unanchored, Mm. actually... Yeah, I think it really th- it threw me into kind of um, really considering what I wanted to feel as opposed to what I wanted to, to, to look like. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, 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 totally. 
So you retrained? So I retrained, trained as a drama therapist first and can remember turning up what's oh, 17 years ago in a in an Addison Lee with sunglasses on to my first therapy session. Because when you train as a therapist, you have to have X amount of hours of therapy yourself. Right. And remember turning up and saying to my therapist, I didn't need to be there, but I had to do it for my course. (laughs) (laughs) And she sort of nodded at me knowingly. And then, you know, nine years later, I was still there. (laughs) So, yeah, it was a a really important decision, I guess. So there's different types of therapy. Yeah. What's drama therapy as opposed to therapy? So... Many people think that you're going to sh- turn up and do a performance of Chicago yeah, and then is, ask people what they feel. Head. Yeah, <laughs> what 12th <do> night. <laughs> is that what you think when you hear the word? When I'm I really hear interested. drama therapy, do you know what? I feel like, <laughs> is it like, I feel like there's a group and it's in like a hall and you, you play like zap games to get to know each other's <laughs> names and then you like, and then you act out the role of your abuser. <laughs> And I'm laughing and it's actually not that far from the truth because, you know, I think you've just totally described the stigma that people think about therapy, ultimately. Yeah. That's one version of it. Right. But I think um, I often, and I think uh, we talk about this a lot at Cell Space, I don't say I'm a drama therapist first mostly because people think that. Yeah. And ultimately what it is, it's about... It's a different vehicle for expressing yourself. Some people find it really hard to say. If I say to you, how are you feeling? Articulating the complexities of what you feel into words that are so limiting can be really, really difficult for your process. And what drama therapy is, is a tool bag of kind of story, play, dance, if you want to, metaphor. Ultimately, so you work a bit more through the art right. form rather than speaking. Right, and and so you you have moments of clarity through other sort of vehicles rather than being like, oh my god, that's so true, just from talking. You- yeah. So I might say to you, so you probably wouldn't know someone was using drama therapy techniques. So I might say to you, if you were to think of your experience right now as a fairy tale or a story, yeah. where would you put yourself right now? So which fairy tale do you most associate with? Right. I, I actually want you to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, do you know what one came... Am I going to say the you one can, that just came? yeah. Sounds- Cinderella. Mm. What does it mean? <laughs> tell me what. Tell me a little bit th- uh, about... What sense you make of that? None. I don't make any sense. That's just the one that I just thought of Cinderella. And you're Cinderella. I think I'm Cinderella. Mm. Powerful, right? As a metaphor, which is something about maybe being victimized or in a role that doesn't feel like you're in charge or there are so many associations that you could play with around that metaphor. Wow, that's really amazing. Is it a lot more kind of like subconscious work yeah is there is there a better word for like leading some i'm not i don't don't mean you're leading someone down the garden path to like then spring something on them but what's the kind of technical term for it like you're if you say oh you know i subconsciously fought cinderella and then put myself as cinderella and then i guess then you sort of like start to deduce what that could mean positionally and Mm. mentally 
And then I'm like, oh, shit, yeah. What? Like, is that is that what it's for? Basically, so so if you think that everything in the psyche, which is your whole kind of being, is on an axis, yeah? So your consciousness is um, on a pendulum with your unconscious. So everything that you've repressed, yeah. everything you're not feeling, thinking, that is too uh, big, difficult, messy for you to explore, yeah. lives in your unconscious. And the unconscious speaks in metaphor right. because it's not yet conscious. Right. So the bit of you that feels like Cinderella is probably not the role that you live in your life actively. Right. You're a music producer, I imagine. You kind of have confidence. You're, yeah. It's quite glamorous. Can completely be. Can be. Can be. <laughs> but it's completely the opposite of Cinderella, right? Yeah. It's, it's the unconscious yeah, 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 part yeah, yeah. of you, the bit that's not not speaking. Wow. <laughs> Can I just say, this isn't this podcast is not Owen in therapy, by the way. So it kind Although of it sounds just like it suddenly is. just turned into it. And now I'm like deeping everything. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm on my knees scrubbing the floors <laughs> as Cinderella. Um, but I think it's interesting you ask about the different types of therapy because there are a lot. What 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 are they? Well, um, so music therapy is one. Yeah. So I'm thinking that you probably experience that in the room sometimes too, the yeah, transformative nature. As we were talking off mic, like I sometimes feel like a therapist. In what way? Because the artist will come into the room and just offload on you and just like uh, like tell you all the, you know, and obviously then we write about it. We sort of like, I, I, I'll say, do you know what? That point you made about being annoyed with your manager or how your manager treated you in that situation, that's a really unique way. Like, I think there's something in there. I think there's a song in there. And then any record producer listening will, will know what I'm talking about. And, but we do sort of, we are there. We do just sort of like sit and take it and listen. And, and then we turn it, you know, use our own experiences and joint with theirs to turn it into a song because I'm guessing mostly it comes from a feeling the experience or the creation starts yeah starts from a feeling it starts so from a feeling and then you have to match that feeling with with music so you have to find if someone's like I'm having a really rubbish time you're not going to start playing major chords <laughs> but yeah you have to match the mood or maybe you'll start playing something Sometimes I do a thing where if nothing's really kind of sparking or nothing's really happening in the room, maybe you play some chords um, or you play a piece of music and you ask them how that's making them feel. And then if it's making them feel, sometimes they say really beautiful words mm. and you're like, that's such a cool word. Let's focus on that. And then we start writing a song around that. Am I that's a music, music therapist? Am I a music <laughs> well, therapist? It's got, it's got the expression because we're talking about metaphor. You're talking about giving voice to what's really difficult to voice. Yeah. And and ultimately that's what therapy is. It doesn't yeah. really matter what what the modality is. So there's, right. you know, there's um, music therapy, drama therapy, art therapy, psychotherapy, which is where you're that really digging. <laughs> it's where you're really digging in the unconscious. So you're really you're really working with um, unconscious processes and then there's counselling, there's... So counselling is um, different to therapy? Counselling is different to psychotherapy. So um, what a psychotherapist does is an analysing, so making an interpretation. So, for example, if you say something to me, I hear what you're saying, but I'm also going to make an interpretation around what it is that I'm hearing or what you're not saying. Whereas counselling is much more... In the moment, I guess. Yeah. It's, it, it's less about what is not being said. 
So it's, and, and you know, all of these things, they do blend in. I don't think they live necessarily in silos. You've also got CBT, which is very cognitive. So that's yeah. not looking backwards. It's not really looking at your history or why. It's concentrating on how you can change your outcome. So it's forward thinking. Right. Whereas I'm I'm much more Jungian, which which um, means that I like to look at the why. So I I yeah. want to know about why you're why why you're doing what you're doing right. and where does it come from from right. your past. So, I mean, are there any more? Just before I go, move <laughs> there on. are, but I mean, the list goes on and on. Really? So I won't. Yeah, there are lots of um, there so, are lots of different styles. So my immediate reaction to that is I'm overwhelmed with the choice of things. You're not alone there. And I'm, I immediately, for some reason, just talking like really openly, when you said counselling, I married that with an incident or grief or something's happened to me and now I need counselling. Is that common or is that, is that... It's quite common, I think. Is that a common misconception or is that what counselling is? Well, I think both of the things that you've said are um, really relatable, which is I think we can become completely fixated and overwhelmed with the type of therapy that we're going to receive and also around people's credentials and mm. and what you know what are they going to do and what does that mean and and yeah. actually ultimately when you arrive in therapy or when you're when you're looking for a therapist be curious about the therapist that's all you need to be right. have an interest in what they're saying about themselves how do we know how do we find this out so if you when you start your journey to look for therapy so if you came to our website everybody's got biogs yeah. i wouldn't so this I, is self space this is the this company is you set up yes yeah, so so basically we support companies and individuals um we've got um nearly 50 therapists on the team all different right. and if I was a client arriving I'd be really overwhelmed by everybody's different titles yeah. because I think it's a bit scary to like decide to go to therapy in the first place because of stigmas and all sorts and then once you get there it's like my dad says he can't go to McDonald's because he walks in and he sees the board and there's so much stuff to order, he just walks out. Yeah, it's too much. Too much. And I don't... But already, the probability is you're feeling a bit overwhelmed anyway. Yeah. And so the idea of having to make a choice and the choice having to be right and it having to yeah. be, oh, this is going to fix yeah. everything. Yeah. And, and I think we just need to reduce our expectation. One yeah. on ourselves. There isn't really a right or a wrong fit. I mean, you, you might meet a practitioner or a therapist and just feel like you don't connect and that that's cool. We don't connect yeah. with everyone we meet in the yeah. world. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, I really feel that we, what would be most helpful is if we leveled the playing field a bit, mm -hmm. which is ultimately you are arriving in the room as the expert about yourself. The person you're working with, the therapist, ultimately it doesn't really matter about their credentials unless you're going for something very specific like eating disorders, addictions, mm. and then you might find somebody whose primary skill is that. Mm. It's about a meeting of people. You're just two humans in the room. And yeah. I think if we can let go of our fear around um, this kind of grandiose idea around what therapy is and who therapists are, yeah. it's really helpful for your process. And that's what self-space is kind of all about, isn't it? It's kind of normalizing the process yeah. of finding a therapist. And making it much more, you know, we're really focused on levelling the playing field, which which means that we 
take our lead from you as a client yeah. as opposed to us telling you what to do. Yeah. So if you so if someone was if someone listening was like, do you know what? I'm fed up of saying I'm okay though. And they were kind of like, maybe there's a stigma around their friendship group that like, you know, like I had when I was younger that it meant that you had a mental health issue. And they they was kind of like starting their journey into sort of therapy and they go on the self-space website. What have you put in place to level the playing field? What's What can they expect? So I think the first thing is to kind of ask yourself, what is it that I want to achieve or what, what is it? How do I want to feel differently? And you might not know, but it's a really good place to start, which is what am I feeling? It might be a bit anxious, overwhelmed, sad. It might be um, a bit out of control. All of these things are uh, are very yeah. common. And is seeking therapy... So I'm still talking about the person that might be listening. They're seeking therapy because... What? Because there's no one in their life that is changing that, that they talk to that's changing that. There's, they can't find a route to solving it. They, like, what, what is it that, why should they, like, what is it that's driving them to, to come on and, and, and speak to someone? And start the journey. I mean, look, I, probably quite a good place to ask you, because I know that you're in therapy mm. yourself. What was it that prompted you to want to go? in terms of how you felt? Well, I had a sort of like issue with my stomach a few years ago that turned into a mental uh, health issue. It was like stomach health, stomach, because they're really closely connected, yeah, the yeah. gut and the mind. And I I feel like I really want to do a whole episode on it because if I'd known that at the time that that was a, a thing, then um, it would have put my mind at rest a, a lot more, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a whole other issue. But th- I, I feel like just being more open and being more, I have a really, I, I, I clam. Mm. I clam up when I'm put in a conflict situation. Mm. And I don't know why. Because I'm seemingly sort of absolutely you know, I'm okay though, you know. I don't feel like I have a sort of like major reason to go. I feel like I have lots of little minor reasons to go. Mm. And if we're being really honest, I I wanted to, if I was doing a podcast about normalizing therapy, I felt like I should be in therapy myself. But that's not, that's probably not why you started though. You probably started from a feeling, I should imagine. Yeah. Like maybe, like you say, I clam up, I'm avoiding conflict. Maybe I'm not reaching my potential somewhere. Yeah. I feel like I, yeah, I want to, I want to get to the bottom of why I can't have conflict. Mm, that's such a, you know, a really important thing to address right because what happens is when we are afraid and avoiding of conflict we swallow ourselves yeah so we don't get heard we feel resentful we feel a whole multitude of things because it's kind of derailing us and i think i even just clammed up then when i was asking you you, asked me i noticed noticed that yeah because you you wanted it's it's much easier to say i'm i'm going to therapy because 
I'm doing a podcast, but I know you started before. Yeah. So you're coming up against what what people come up against, which is it's really difficult for me to articulate why, because on the outside, everything in my life looks pretty good. And it's not saying that it isn't. But but this is, you're exactly on the knife edge of what people experience, which is I should be feeling okay. In fact, I do feel okay though. I, uh, they talk themselves out of the space that could be really helpful for them for all the reasons that you just, you just went through in your head or whatever happened for you there. That was weird. (laughs) Yeah. But I think it's a really important insight because I think you went exactly where other people go. And this, I notice that often what happens when people are considering coming to therapy, which is something will happen and it's horrible and it could just be a conversation with their boss, but it could be much more major as so a grief or trauma or whatever. And the instant reaction is, I'm going to go to therapy. So they get down the line, they look for someone, they start to make the the kind of process come alive for themselves and then they feel a bit better. Mm. And then they go, oh, I'm fine though. I'm not going to go. Yeah. And then the thing comes back again. Yeah. And I think we've got to look to push through that a bit further, which is let's think about this as maintenance as opposed to just crisis management. Amazing. And I think it will really reframe the way we, we think and feel. Yeah. And I, I think if we can think about it as part of our kind of wellness program as much as we drink water and you know go to the gym or not go to the gym or whatever we do if we can start to consider it like that as opposed to it solving one issue or one crisis point then it's really helpful because you've identified that look it was probably my conflict avoiding that was causing a lot of other things that were minor yeah and and you you just know that you might be able to feel a bit better, a bit different, approach things differently, reach your potential, however you want to look at it. It's a space just to talk about yourself, which is, we all love that ultimately. And I found that as well, that it's kind of like, I thought I'd be, I thought there'd be a lot more judgment Mm. that you'd feel judged. About what you were saying. About what you were saying. And there isn't Mm. at all which was so refreshing to be like, oh, you know? And that's a really, you know, you've just totally hit the nail on the head, which is there's so much judgment in the world in life. So much. Like even if you speak to your best friend about your problems. Yeah. Because they know you inside out, there's subconscious and conscious judgment going on. Totally. But yeah, when I went, you know, when I did therapy, I was like, oh, this is like you're not getting judged. That's not what it. That's not what it is. That you're kind of accepted. Yeah. That whatever happens like, in okay, that space. This, that, the other, and you. Yeah, it's like a. Even that mm-hmm. was really helpful. Yeah, and I think it's really liberating that because it means you can bring your whole self into the space. Yeah. It it means that you're not kind of consciously leaving bits out or. You know, and that's yeah. an invitation for therapy, which yeah. is how do we really show up and yeah. show up in a way that yeah. is all our horrid bits yeah. and all but the I've, bits. I think that's quite important for people to 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 know, especially people who have never had it or or have had it with the wrong therapist, maybe mm. that you can kind of like you said, like you don't have to stick with the first one you go to. It's about finding the right person. Totally. Can I ask you what something that might stop a lot of people coming? Mm. Money. 
Yeah, it's a massive barrier. So money for me, I'm just going to take a pun and I reckon it stops a massive percentage of people from doing it. Well, I think there are, look, I think that we consider money for mental health as luxury money. Right. As opposed to necessity. So in the States, everybody's pretty much in therapy. Yeah. And I, I think that we still, I will hear so many people at the bar spending 50, 60 quid on cocktails talking about how shit they feel. Yeah. Now, they are happy to spend money there, but when it comes to their mental health, we somehow consider this as an optional right. spend. And I'm not proposing that we all have money that we can allocate to our mental health. No, but there are many people that can, but choose not to. Yeah. And this is how we rationalize and defend against change. I can't afford it. It's too expensive. Yeah. Yet we might be spending 130 quid on kicks over here. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think we need to reframe that for ourselves, which is yeah. this is essential money and is going to positively impact so many other areas of yeah. our lives. You can go to the NHS. They do offer a really robust service. Yes, waiting lists are very long. Yeah. There are also, you know, this is this is also a barrier, I think, which is there are many charitable institutions for mental health. Now, Charity notoriously can feel really difficult for people to access because it makes us feel like we need to accept charity. Yeah. And yes, sometimes we do. And it's really important for our growth. And there are lots of places that you can look to receive help. And yes, we can talk about, we don't offer a sliding scale at Selfspace. I think that we probably are on the more expensive end of this uh, scale. We're £80 a session. So that's, what does that £80 get you? So that's £80. That's 50 minutes. That's a 50-minute session, ultimately. Yeah. With self-space, you choose when you want to come and you book yourself. And we aren't going to tell you that you have to come every week at a certain time. Right. We're much more autonomous than that, so it can fit around your life. Yeah. But, you know, in a kind of a bigger a bigger theme for people is that they use the, their relationship to money as a defense against making making change. Of course. Because but you do a... You do a Block booking, don't you? Your yeah, options. you can book a bundle and... And that works out at a discount, does that's it? That's a discount. And there, I, I think that if we really can step past the kind of money issue, which I know is relevant for lots of people, but if we can think a bit more kind of proactively about it, I think that it, there are ways of making it possible for yourself. Yeah. Like a gym membership, yeah. you're happy to spend whatever. Happy to spend money on gym membership. We're happy to spend money on finding ways to distract ourselves from feeling. Yeah. So we often spend a lot of money trying not to feel. So whether that's drinking, mm. drugs, eating out, over-socializing, holidays, all of which yeah. are important in some ways, not mm -hmm. all of those, but some of them, yeah. in small amounts. Often what we're doing is we're looking to minimize our feeling experience. Yeah. What you might find is if you go through therapy or you go through a process of talking yeah. about how you feel, you aren't spending money in other areas to distract yourself. Yeah, yeah. So I think it, 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 there's a really massive payback there. Amazing. For someone who's never done therapy before and they're thinking about doing therapy and we've got to the stage where we've convinced them that like spending the money on it is, is worth it and maybe there's other areas they, that they're compensating for. Mm -hmm. Is it, I, I think this is a question, uh, just, this is just from my own personal experience. The question is, oh, well, how many sessions do I need? Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, when you like learn to drive 
<laughs> you're like, oh, well, you need about 30 hours before you can pass your test. Yeah. I'm guessing it's not, it doesn't work like that. But I think that's probably quite a common question is like, okay, so I'm, I've decided to allocate some money towards this. I've, I've decided that I'd really like this. How, many, how much of this do I need before I'm quote unquote fixed fixed or better. better or like is that nonsense is it like unquantifiable is it what what is it what would you say to someone who's kind of asks you that okay cool i'm going to do this so how 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 much do i how need how long um i think lots of people ask that question and it's very common there is something about people being validated in their in when when they ask that question so they want to ask how unwell do you think I am? Right. So we need to be careful that we don't kind of collude with that idea, which is if we think about our mental health, not as um, a beginning and an end, but just a continuous period of um, growth and change, we will always go through ebbs and flows and um, depressions and highs. This is being human. Yeah. I don't think there is necessarily... A kind of a, a linear journey. In fact, there isn't. Life is going to throw many things at you. You're mm. going to cause many things in your life. And all of those things will at some point need tending to for you yeah. to keep kind of growing. I mean, look, I've been in therapy for 17 years pretty much continuously. Yeah. But I think if you said, look, eight to 12 sessions, that's probably a really good starting point yeah. but I don't think we should think about our emotions as so black and white as in of course you might want to go for a particular thing yeah so you might want to go you might go in really directive and say you know I I overspend or I overeat or undereat or whatever it is and I want to work on that yeah that doesn't mean that all the other components in your life are going to kind of suddenly shape up yeah i think you know we're everything's interconnected internally and it's yeah. often a work in progress but i'd say eight to twelve is a really good starting point once a week once every two weeks once a week is good to start with i don't want to be too prescriptive here because i think everybody Absolutely. finds their own journey well, i feel like this, this this hearing this kind of stuff is helpful for someone who yeah who hasn't done it or is you know would would maybe have these questions in their head but not ask them. Not be able to ask them. And yeah. I also think you need to be prepared that you are not going to come out of your first session with an epiphany. Right. And I think people think that they are going to feel vastly different after one session. Right. The reality is you often feel terrible when you're in the middle of therapy. Yeah. It's stripping you of all of the things that you've crafted against feeling. Yeah. And so I think we need to kind of, you know, blow away this idea of it being miraculously yeah. um, fixing and... Yeah, and you're not lying on a chaise long <laughs> with someone behind you taking notes. No, I mean, there are some people that do that. That is that is kind of old school and that does work sometimes. Yeah. And whatever works for you. But I think that we do need to know that it's a commitment to ourselves yeah. and that it isn't going to feel wonderful yeah all of the time sometimes it's really hard to be challenged or it's yeah. really hard for someone to hold up a mirror for you to look in and see yourself and that's ultimately yeah. what the therapist's job is is yeah. to say look look Owen you're not I, I don't think you're seeing this about yourself yeah 
and they might not say it in such a direct way, yeah, but yeah. but but ultimately, and and they might call you out on stuff like you're always late to the session. So rather than that being an experience of them telling you off about being late, what what is it that you're communicating about yourself? Which yeah. is I don't deserve this whole fifty yeah, minutes. Yeah. It's somehow an expression of how you don't value yourself. Yeah. So there's this is what the, a good therapist is going to do is going to challenge what what you're saying and what you're showing them about you that you might not be able to see. Yeah. And that's not always comfortable. We don't like to be told things. Yeah. Especially about ourselves, who we think we are. Yeah. And it can feel like being stripped and it can yeah. feel like grief, which is this is a thing I've relied on my whole life. Yeah. And now you're telling me something about it I don't want to hear. Yeah. And I don't like that. Yeah. You know, and a, and a good relationship with a therapist might might sound like that, which is yeah. I don't like what you're telling me. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. Yeah. 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 You know, it doesn't need to be this kind of one way. Uh, conversation yeah. which is you accepting what you're hearing all the time it's, yeah. it's really about practicing your life in that room so that you can take what you experience outside yeah and help yeah and help and make change and you have a therapist yes I've I find got... that so funny you know, I don't know what it is about a therapist having a therapist does, the, does your therapist have a therapist of course I should imagine I feel like it's like uh, like if you're I find the number of your therapist and then I find the number of their therapist and then eventually I'll get to the boss therapist who's <laughs> the one at the very top who's the top and then I'll have him or her oh, like a computer gosh, game that's interesting has anyone ever come into therapy who's just like just super happy and just wants to stay that way. Is that, is that? I don't believe in happiness. So I, I think. Don't believe in happiness. Not really. No. Let's I, talk about this. <laughs> I think there are fleeting moments of contentedness and right. maybe more extended periods and moments of joy. Right. But I think this idea of happiness is not really real. Do you? Yeah, no. I Yeah, totally. If we're being like really honest with ourselves. Yeah. I think it's like a dream that people are trace chasing that just makes us feel a bit shit. Yeah. Because ha happiness is, it's more kind of moments of joy or contentedness or connection or meaning. So what do you describe the moments in between that as? Labour. <laughs> Work. <laughs> Work. Graph. Labour, graph, complex. You know, I I think if we can aim for more prolonged moments of contentedness, that would be better. There are definitely people that come into the room and go, you know, ultimately, um, I'm okay though. Yeah. <laughs> no, but they might be in quite good shape, but they're underperforming somewhere and yeah. they feel it and they want to make change because we all are. We're yeah, all yeah. a work in progress. Yeah. So I don't aspire myself to happiness and I wouldn't be aspiring my clients toward it either yeah 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 I think it's a rocky road that <laughs> happiness is fake guys <laughs> I sound so pessimistic happiness is oh, bullshit God, this one's a bit <laughs> miserable over here don't go see her <laughs> um, but don't you think there's some there's a, a kind of really yeah totally the totally. expectation of that and yeah. also of relationships which is everyone sort of skipping off into the sunset and love is love yeah and Honestly, relationships are really hard. Yeah. Not just relationships, romantic relationships, yeah. but friendships, work relationships. Yeah. They are deeply complex. Yeah. And, and so why do we do that? Just on a kind of 
maybe just to round it off, why do we look at other people's stuff and go, they are so happy they are smashing it? Why do we do that? <laughs> because we want to punish ourselves in some way. We want to... It, the minute we recognise others' humanness, we accept our own. Yeah. So the minute I see... You see the fragility, the fear, the vulnerability in in the picture that others are showing us. We also experience our own. And I think that on a deeper level, that's probably what we do. The best we can hope for is that we show up authentically and honestly in the most parts of our life. There we go. Boom. That's it. (laughs) Full stop, right? Don't need to go to therapy now, right? Because we're all right. (laughs) 